0: Welcome to the city. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here, if we hadn't had a chance to meet. Um, And just to tell you a little bit about myself, I've been married to my wife, Jennifer. We've been married for almost 24 years. That's not a typo. Yeah. Almost. It's not our anniversary yet, but next month, uh, 24 years. We have three kids. We have a 20-year-old daughter, 16-year-old son, and 13-year-old son. And you know, you hear parents say this from time to time, and if you're a parent, you might have said this, but like, oh, it's, it's such a fun age, you know? Um, you never hear that after about 12 or so. <laughs> so that's where we are. Um, and, and my favorite was when, when they were little, you know, and, and they're learning new stuff and they're talking for the first time and, you know, just, just being funny a lot. Um, my, my daughter, Taylor, this was years ago. Uh, she was three or so. And Jennifer and I were going to go on a date. And our our pastor at the time, I was leading worship part-time at a very small Nazarene church here in town. Very conservative uh, pastor. Uh, Him and his wife were going to watch Taylor for us while we went on a date. So we left her at their house, and we went and had our date and came back. And um, he had a story for me when when I got back. He's like, you'll never guess what your daughter said. And, yeah, it's worse than you think. No, uh... He, I was like, what? He said, well, she said, daddy likes to drink beer. And uh, nothing wrong with that, right? But I can guarantee you at that point in her life, she had never seen me drink a beer. I don't know, where, I don't know how she even knew what a beer was, but it gets worse. He also likes to wear my clothes. <laughs> that part was true. But, uh, but, but, you know, if you don't have kids... Don't. No, I'm just kidding. They're, they're great. They're, uh, they're, they're a blessing uh, from the Lord. Um, you know, but she, she, she totally betrayed me, right? In that moment, she sold me out. And, and you know, we, we, we laugh at that, but sometimes betrayal isn't so fun, is it? Uh, sometimes it hurts a lot. And no one knows this better than Jesus himself. And you probably know where we're going today, but let me let me recap where we've been so far. Remember, we're in Holy Week. Uh, we've we've um, been through a Sunday as Jesus rode in. Remember on the donkey and the palm branches, and, and I think I called it Donkey Day last time. Trying to quote Clayton, but he calls it Donkey Sunday. Uh, Monday, he walks into the temple and, and cleanses it, clears it out, flips the tables over. Uh, um, it's kind of a, a wild scene. Tuesday, he's back at the temple and he's, he's teaching and his authority is challenged over and over. He has this confrontation with those spiritual religious leaders. Uh, he, he, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how he, he denounced that, that current corrupt religious system, and he, he exalted Cinderella, you remember that whole story with, with the, the widow that gave everything that she had. Last week, he predicted God's judgment on the earth and his, his ultimate. Return and now we are that, that. So that a lot of that was Tuesday. Now we we are to Wednesday, and I love this this quote from um, an article when I was studying. The Gospel Coalition it says this: the past several days have been a rush of tension and anger for Jesus' opponents, and unflinching resolve for Jesus. Words have been his currency, and he's spent piles of them. But on Wednesday, before his death, Jesus is still. So I feel like Luke here it takes, it takes a little bit of a break in chapter 22, kind of a break from the narrative. And he kind of lets us know what's been going on behind the scenes. You've had all this buildup, right? Jesus, his ministry, it, we're coming down to the end. I mean, tensions are at an all-time high. It's kind of reached a boiling point, And now the first domino that leads to his death is about to fall. It's a story we all know well. If you have your Bibles, Luke chapter 22, verse 1. We start a new chapter. It's always fun. They're going to be on the screen if you don't have your Bible. But as always, on our app, we have the message notes. That's that's the best way to follow along. All the quotes, all the verses, all the points are there. So I've asked my friend Christina to read our our verse for us today. So would you guys stand just in honor of the reading of, of God's word? Hi, my name is Christina Martinez. I have a daughter named Aliana who is going to be in first grade this year. Um, she attends City Kids, and I volunteer in City Kids, and I also attend the Torah City Group. Let's read. The festival of unleavened bread, which is also called Passover, was approaching. The leading priests and teachers of religious law were plotting how to kill Jesus, but they were afraid of the people's reaction. Then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve disciples, and he went to the leading priests and captains of the temple guard to discuss the best way to betray them, to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted and they promised to give him money. So he agreed and began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus so they could arrest him when the crowds weren't around. Awesome. Thank you. You guys can be seated. So you've heard this before. But uh, let, let's let's talk a little bit about it first of all it, he starts with uh, the festival of unleavened bread and Passover just to kind of talk about what those are I know in our culture we know something about Passover but unleavened bread maybe not so much the, the festival of unleavened bread lasted uh, for for seven days from Nisan 15 to 21 that's that was their month right it was right after uh, Toyota right I just that joke there. Um, no, it's like March, April, somewhere in that on the Gregorian calendar. Uh, the, 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 it lasted for seven days. Passover was the opening day of that. So, so one day before, Nisan 14. Unleavened bread and Passover had originally kind of been separate things, but kind of over the years they, they got more and more combined. And just, just a little side point here this is interesting to me as I'm studying this because Luke here, who's not a Jew and he's writing to a non Jewish audience the way he phrases this, it says, um, unleavened bread, which is also called Passover. It, it, it's clear that, that he's not worried about those details confusing a Jewish audience, right? It, to me, it just kind of lends some validity to, to just the authenticity of, of Scripture. A Jewish person would never have said it that way, but for the simplicity of, of his point, he kind of combines them. It's kind of a cool thing. Um, so, so Passover celebrates God's people's um, deliverance from Egypt. You remember the story of, of Pharaoh and his heart being hardened and all that God did, delivering them from captivity? And in, in Egypt, God acted as judge, as savior, and as father. So, so he acted as judge. You, you remember, he judged Pharaoh and all the plagues and everything else. Pharaoh was kind of thumbing his nose at the almighty God. Ultimately, it, it led to a judgment where the the life of the firstborn was taken, all the animals, all the people. God was judge in that situation. He acted as Savior because he saved his people from that judgment. If you remember, if they were faithful to, to smear the lamb's blood across their doorposts or the lintel, uh, the, the, the Spirit of the Lord passed over that place. That's where they get that name, Passover. He, they were spared from his wrath. And then he acted as Father because He he was bringing his people kind of unto himself, creating a a new nation, the people of God, where they had to to be totally dependent on him for everything. If you remember, the the next 40 years were them following him and him feeding them day by day by day. He created a new nation. Now, this is a a theme, not just of the the old kind of sacrificial system, but but of Passover itself. The, The theme is... There can be no forgiveness, no redemption, no no, um, escape from the wrath of God without blood. Blood must be shed in order to stop God's judgment for sin. There there must be death or there can be no life. But the good news was there could be a substitute, right? Right? Some other life can be a substitute for your life. And in the case of Passover, it was the life of the lamb that they, they sacrificed where God's wrath, his judgment, passed over them. So that's, that's Passover. The Feast of Unleavened Bread is a lot simpler. This, this idea of unleavened bread was, was that they had to get out of Egypt in a hurry. Right, So they didn't have time to put the leaven, put the, the yeast in the bread and wait for it to rise. So they had to be ready to go when God said, go. And so, so they celebrated these two feasts kind of together, just remembering all that God had done as, as they looked backward to this, this oppressive king, but also looked forward to the king that was to come. They look forward to the, the Messiah who would deliver God's people once again. So, so you can obviously see all the parallels here, right? You, you have Moses who, who came to Pharaoh in the name of, of God, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened. God's judgment was poured out. Now you have Jesus coming in the name of his Father, and you have these religious people whose hearts are hardened to that, to that message, and Jesus would become that ultimate fulfillment of Passover, He is the Passover lamb that would save God's people, us, all of humanity, his children that, that choose to follow him, save them from God's coming wrath. So this was God's plan. Jesus would be the, the Passover lamb. So what better time to have Jesus sacrificed than at Passover? That was God's intention that he would be He would be sacrificed during Passover when people were in town and all of that stuff, celebrating Passover to kind of draw these these connections. And in a couple of days, people would be in town celebrating that very thing that Jesus came to fulfill. They'd be celebrating their national deliverance. Jesus would die bringing about ultimate deliverance. Verse 2. The leading priests, teachers of the religious law, were plotting how to kill Jesus, but they were afraid of the people's reaction. So this is nothing new, right? They've been plotting and plotting forever. The leading priest is the, the ruling body of, of the religious kind of uh, pack of people in Jerusalem. They were members of the Sanhedrin. Uh, they weren't the high priests, but they were pretty high, right? They were the most prominent uh, priestly families, and it talks about the teachers of the religious law. We've talked about that a lot, those are the scribes. So, so they've been plotting, they've been plotting, they've been plotting, now they, they've decided Jesus has to die. Like it's been decided, they're just trying to work out the how, right? If you remember a couple of weeks ago, I told you that, that Pilate was in town for Passover. They had intended to use Pilate to execute Jesus. So they're, they're trying to get all these, these things to line up at one time. Herod was in town too. Pilate and Herod. So why were they in town? Well, it wasn't to celebrate Passover. They had come into town for Passover because crowd control was an issue. At Passover, I mean, everybody came into Jerusalem to to celebrate. So so the rule was if you were an adult male under 15 miles away, which in those days is a long way, if you were under 15 miles away, you went to Jerusalem for Passover, period. Period. And if you were further away than that, you hoped to go, right? You're like, maybe next year we can make it. Or, or one day I, I hope to get there. The, the population by all estimates that, that I've seen uh, in Jerusalem at that time would have been around 400,000 people. Okay. So, so during Passover, this is an estimation made by, by Josephus, a Jewish historian, that, that population would have swelled over two and a half million people. And he estimates that during Passover, in a two-hour period between three and five, there would have been over 250,000 lambs sacrificed. So huge crowds of people. And they were coming from these surrounding villages, right, where Jesus had been all around. He'd been teaching and healing people and doing miracles. And he had a pretty big following still, right? So you have tons of people. You have all these people that... That, that love Jesus and that, that want to follow Jesus and, and they got to figure out a way to arrest him without causing a riot but what they needed was an insider to give them some, some information some, some intel they had to somehow get to Jesus when he was away from the crowds so they could arrest him quietly and they got the break that they needed In verse 3, then Satan entered into Judas Iscariot, who was one of the 12 disciples. Pause. Judas, the most infamous traitor in all of history, right? Everyone knows what Judas did. Judas Iscariot. Iscariot is the name of the place that he was from, that the city was actually called Kerioth. It It was in the south. Okay, it was in the south. All the other disciples were from the north. And in, in those days in Israel, it's kind of backwards from, from the U.S. today, right? You, the, 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 the country boys were from the north. <laughs> they were from, from Galilee. This was all the other disciples. They weren't real sophisticated. They were just good old boys, you know? Judas was from Kerioth. He was from the, the, uh, the south. Think, think like Martha's Vineyard or like Ivy League or something, right? Uh, um, You had the rednecks in the north and the sophisticated people in the south. So basically, Judas was a Yankee, right? That makes a lot more sense uh, (laughs) why he did what he did. He was sophisticated, educated, trusted. He was the handler of, of, of the money, like when they would take donations or whatever. Judas was the one in charge of that, and he was skimming money this whole time. See, all of this kind of exposes who Judas really was. He wasn't like the other disciples. See, the other disciples followed Jesus because they believed in him. If you remember, one of the times he he called some disciples, he called Philip, who ran and got Nathaniel and said, come, we. I found the one that the prophets talked about. Like, this is the Messiah. And they, they came to join him, and they, they, they believed in what he was, he was doing. They, they, they misunderstood it a little bit, right? But they were, they were in it for the right reasons. But Judas, on the other hand, apparently there was nothing spiritual going on there. See See, he wanted a seat at the table. When Jesus overthrew the Roman Empire and he set up his kingdom here on earth, he, he realized like there was there was power to be had. There was land to be had. But at this point, Judas had to have realized like this isn't going the direction I thought it was going to go. Jesus keeps talking about his death and and all of this stuff and he's going to be going away. And like he, he he sees that it's not going the way he thought it might. And he, he wants out. He, he he wants to cash out. He wants to bail. So so when it comes to Judas, we're not really given a reason for this betrayal other than greed. But again, he he gives the, the religious leaders, Jesus' opponents, what they lacked. He gives them the how. He provides them with information. And then the big part of that verse, Satan entered into Judas. Now, what this means is not entirely clear to, to most scholars is it all, like full-on possession is it just some kind of influence Wh- whatever it was most people think possessions too strong of a description but it does suggest like at a minimum satanic influence in direction so for the first time since the temptation of Jesus this was all the way back in chapter 4 this was a a long time ago for us right Satan tempted Jesus, and Jesus resisted him, and then Luke tells us that the devil left Jesus until the next opportunity came. This is the next opportunity. In Luke 4, we know that Satan is coming back, and now he's come for Judas. See, see Judas' betrayal, Jesus' death, isn't just about people acting in immoral ways or in in evil ways. There's so much more at play here. You have the supreme evil one, not just the demon. You have Satan himself getting involved because he hates Jesus. Another important note, Satan entering into Judas doesn't uh, absolve Judas of any wrongdoing here, right? He, he still has to own responsibility for his own motivations and actions. Like he's making his own choices. And we, we also know that Satan only gains influence to him because Judas allows it. So Judas at this point is beyond the reach of goodness. Like he has totally gone off the reservation. He's given himself completely over to evil he's motivated by Satan himself. Continuing on, he went to the leading priests and captains of the temple guard to discuss the best way to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted, and they promised to give him the, uh, give him money. So he agreed and began looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus so they could arrest him when the crowds weren't around. Another interesting point. Think about who's writing this to us. Luke is writing this. Who is a a believer, right? Jesus is his savior. And he's writing about Judas who did the unthinkable and betrayed his, his savior. So, so Luke's kindness here towards Judas is pretty incredible. I mean, it's striking. He's given an account of the most insidious act of betrayal in all of human history. And it would be easy and understandable for Luke to take some swings at Judas. I mean, how would you tell this story about this guy, right? And then this piece of, you know, like he saw Jesus out. Can you believe it? Like I would, I would, I would put some of my own flavor in there, maybe. But Luke writes with with so much restraint. He's simply telling us the facts. Very little comment here. Think about this. Judas lived and walked talks, and ate with Jesus, the Son of God, every single day for more than three years. He heard all the teachings. He saw all of the miracles firsthand. He was on the inside. Not just with a good man, with Jesus himself, God in flesh, and somehow, after all he experienced with Jesus, Judas still agrees to betray him for 30 pieces of silver, 30 pieces of silver. This is according to a law in Deuteronomy. If that's the basically the price of a slave if you had a slave that accidentally got killed by an ox the owner of the ox had to pay for the death 30 pieces of silver about $7500 in in modern money this this just tells you what little Judas and the chief priests thought of Jesus he was sold out for almost nothing man What a way to treat God in the flesh. So the first thing I want to see see today, the first takeaway is not every follower is a follower. Not every follower is a follower. Judas was one of the 12, but but he proves here that he never truly believed in Jesus. He he represents a, a disciple that was no disciple at all. For years, the, the other 11, and Jesus accepted him into this, this group, into their community. And he proves, again, that you can, you can be around Jesus, hear from Jesus in the flesh, seeing the miracles, the a front row seat to the, the most life-changing events in the history of the world. You can do all that and still not be a true disciple. This is a theme of Jesus' teaching. There's the real and there's the pretend. How, how sobering is it to think about how, how close someone can, can come to God's kingdom and still be lost? You see, true saving faith results in obedience and love for God and perseverance till. The end, not not perfection, because we we know we can kind of see into the future here. Peter himself denies that he knows Jesus, right? But Judas, Judas' betrayal was different. Judas reveals he he was never really one of them. He, he, He didn't lose his salvation because he was never saved. Judas was even a volunteer. <laughs> he counted the offering, right? He'd been skimming money. Jesus knew this. This, this wasn't a surprise to, to Jesus, but apparently no one else knew. No, none of the other 11 even had a clue that he was skimming money or that he was planning to betray Jesus. They, they, they had no clue. They didn't realize it. And, and I, I, would, I would contend this. There are Judases all over our churches. They look the part on the outside, but they're there for different reasons, different motivations, just just playing the part. This reminds us that church attendance, church membership, church association, even volunteering, these aren't the marks of someone who is saved, someone who is, is part of God's family. It's the fruit of your life, the state of your heart, everyone else around you might, might be full, but, but God looks at your heart. And guess what? That's all that matters. Next, Jesus' enemy is your enemy. And guess what? It's not Judas. Jesus' enemy was not, was not Judas. Think, think about all the problems you have in your life. Probably most of them have to do with people right? People you have issues with, things with, with your kids or siblings or, or parents, people at work. How many people right now are kind of on your naughty list? How, how many grudges are you hanging on to because you were, you were mistreated? How, how, how many of you, if you're being honest, have bitterness because you feel like you were mistreated in some way? Man, Judas is, is a perfect... Example of that, but, but it's not about the, the person, it's about our real enemy. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul says, We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Guys, this, this betrayal of Jesus, no doubt it hurt him. Jesus was all God, but he was all man. He, he, he felt and thought, I mean, he had emotions just like us, like this, this betrayal from, from his friend, somebody he'd spent so much time with, had to have hurt him. But guess how Jesus responded? With grace. How, how do we know? In a matter of hours... Jesus and his disciples, all of them, are going to be in the upper room. They're going to be having the, the last supper, the Lord's Supper, breaking the bread, pouring the, the, the wine. Judas ate. And then, guess what Jesus did? He goes around to all his disciples and washes their feet Guess whose feet got washed? Then he would go to the cross. He died for Judas too. Judas wasn't his enemy. People in your life aren't your enemy. Your enemy is Satan. He's real. And his only purpose on this earth is to take you out. You and everyone you love, your family, your kids, your spouse, to to deceive and lie and, and pull you and people in your life away from Jesus. He never stops. Peter tells us he's like a lion. In 1 Peter chapter 5, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Man, that is powerful imagery. He prowls around looking for someone to devour. Can you imagine like going on some kind of African safari and just hopping out of the truck and just kind of roaming around? Strolling around like like you not a care in the world. And imagine if as you hop out of the truck, people are like, hey, there's lions out there that are hungry and they just love eating you, you know, people. They love eating. That's like their thing is to eat people. And you still you, you just you just stroll on, not even looking over your shoulder. that's what so many of us do strolling through life never giving any thought to the the rulers of the unseen world that are literally trying to kill you see scripture tells us we just read it your your enemy is great right like he's he's formidable be alert. Realize who you're fighting. It's not that person. It's it's Satan himself. He doesn't give up. He, he didn't give up with Jesus when he tried to tempt, tempt him. He, he kept coming back for him. He's aggressive. He's very good at leading us into sin. He's very good at twisting things and and... Whispering in our ear and leading us away from God. And you know, we can we can dog on Judas all we want, but if we stop and think about it, we're not that much different. We we can see kind of the same types of, of behavior, the same types of, of choices. One one sin in our lives we know often leads. To another and to another. And sometimes in order to cover up the first one, the, the, the deceptive nature of, of sin hatches plots in dark, dark plate. Like we it, we're, 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 we're led to like keep things secret, to cover things up, to let things fester and grow. And your enemy will whisper to you, who's going to know, but temptation Sin, it's, it's always a mirage. It never satisfies. It's empty. See, see, Judas traded his life for worthless things. How many times have you seen that in, in your life? People that you know, people we see on big stages, people that trade what they want most for what they want right now. It's never a good trade. Did you did you hear that? Never trade what you want most for what you want in the moment. That's what Satan wants you to do. It's it's always a trap. Like like Genesis 3, Adam and Eve in the garden, just just a little a little subtle twist on God's truth and next thing you know, they're out. Satan's real. He's moving. He's maneuvering. He's looking for the tiniest crack to get at you, get a, get a foothold in your life, in your family's life. And now, I'm not trying to scare you, though, right? Because there, there, there's good news on the other side of this, and that's this Satan has already been defeated. He's strong and powerful, but he's lost already. Satan can work, but Jesus still wins. He wins. That's one thing we know. Jesus' death wasn't because Satan won. (laughs) It's not because the the leading priests or Pilate or or any of them, it's not because of any of them that that God's son had to die. Jesus went willingly to his death because God had ordained it. It was his plan. Jesus won. It's not even appropriate to say he will win, right? He already won. The end is already written. Satan loses. Satan, he attempted to do everything that he could to stop God's plan of of salvation, but he couldn't stop it. Why? Because like we've been saying, God is the author of the story. He has the authority. He's on the throne what what had to have seemed just like incomprehensible like this this tragedy right the, 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 his his followers as they they saw him arrested and beaten and killed it caused just absolute disillusionment it was actually god's plan of redemption all along it was what was necessary for ultimate victory Think about it. This is This is the coolest thing. Satan's participation in the death of Jesus was his downfall. His greatest victory was all part of the plan. I'll prove it to you. This very betrayal, all the way down to the, the amount of money Judas would make was, was foretold about centuries before it happened. Psalm 41, David writes, Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who, I, who, I, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Again, in chapter 55, For it is not an enemy who repro- reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor, it is, nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me. Then I could hide myself from him. But it is you, a man my equal, my companion, and my familiar friend, who we had sweet fellowship together. And walked in the house of God. Zechariah, prophet, predicted the amount of the payoff, right? And predicted that it would be used to buy the potter's field after the Jewish authorities wouldn't take his money back. This is all coming very soon. But this is Zechariah's writing I said to them, If it is good in your sight, give me my wages, but if not, never mind. So they weighed out 30 shekels of silver as my wages. Then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, that magnificent price at which I was valued by them. So I took 30 shekels of silver and threw them to the potter in the house of the Lord. See, Satan acted the way he did because he couldn't do anything else. Because it was what God he he took the role in the death of jesus that god determined for him to 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 take the the irony in most events surrounding jesus arrest trial crucifixion is that those who appear to be appear to be in control are not in control at all they only happen because jesus allows them to proceed see god is sovereign god is on the throne he is the author he is in control He can take the darkest moments of our lives and use them for our good and for his glory. It's just what he does. You might remember the story of Joseph betrayed by his brothers, not just treated unfairly. I mean, he was sold into slavery. They told his dad that he died. He was a slave at Potiphar's house, falsely accused of rape, thrown into prison, 13 years of misery that he didn't deserve. But he works his way up. Eventually, he's number two in command in in all of the kingdom. He had every right to be like as his brothers stood before him kneeling and trembling, right, at the end of the story, if you remember how it goes, he had every right to be like, that's what you get, you know, like he had every right to to throw them into prison or turn them away, but he responds with grace. What does he tell them? He says, what you meant for evil, God intended for good. God used it. God used that injustice to bring about the salvation, not just of the brothers, but of the entire land. Does that sound familiar to you? You know, the the past couple of years in my life, my family's life have been the darkest. Satan attacking our marriage our kids our health I mean truly feeling like we're getting it from from every every side but it's, it's been difficult, but because of our experience with God and how he's worked in the past, we, we know that we, ha- we have hope that God is working everything for our good and his glory. And just like we sang before I got up here, we sang in that song, I count on one thing, the same God that never fails will not fail me now. In the waiting, The same God who's never late is working all things out. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. God weaves everything together for the good of his children. this, This verse is so misunderstood. The good in this context isn't talking about earthly comfort. We were never promised that. In fact, we were promised the opposite. He's talking about unity with Christ, closer fellowship with God, bearing good fruit for the kingdom, sharing in his glory one day when when he returns. The end of the story is that he wins and we as his children win. He is with us. He never leaves us. He didn't cause whatever it is that's, that's hurting you, but he will use it if you let him. only a couple of days from Jesus being murdered during Passover. And see, it was tradition during Passover for each Jewish family on the 10th day of the month to to select the lamb that they would take to the temple. They they picked it out. And then four days later, they took it to the temple to be sacrificed on the behalf of that, that family. This is the day that Jesus will die. See, see J- Jesus knew that Judas was looking for an opportunity to betray him, but he has a schedule to keep. Jesus knows he must die by Friday. The same day, those 250,000 plus lambs will be sacrificed between 3 and 5 p.m. The, the perfect spotless lamb. that died in our place. Would you bow your heads with me as we, as we close? I, I don't know what all this means for you, but God does. Are you gonna listen? Are you gonna cross your arms and stubbornly resist what, what he's speaking to you right now? maybe you know in your heart of hearts that you are judas you've been playing a game acting the part but your heart is far from him you're a disciple that's no disciple at all and i want to tell you that god's arms are open wide to you jesus still died for you that's how much God loves you is he sent his only son to die in your place just like all of those lambs. Like, he didn't deserve it, but he willingly laid down his life because he loves you. He wants a relationship with you. Today's the day that you bow the knee to your king. You put your faith and what Jesus did for you on the cross, not in your own good works, church attendance or volunteering or anything else. He wants your heart. Make that decision today. We'd encourage you to go to the the Welcome Center after and, and talk to somebody there if you're deciding to follow Jesus today. But for all, all the rest of us, you know. How much thought are we giving to our actual enemy? How much grace are we giving to people in our lives that seem like the enemy? How, how much are you truly trusting that God has a plan? Are you stuck in just shaking your fist at God and saying, why, God, why? Like, how much longer will this go on? Or... Are you letting yourself get to the point where you say you know what i don't understand why but but i trust you god i know that what the enemy intends for evil you intend for good god what are you trying to teach me what are you trying to do in me and through me in this situation and and listen god's not he can handle your questions he can handle even your anger but don't stay there let him move let him work let him grow you god we we thank you that you're in control that you're on the throne and i know that we're all human and we all have those dark moments where we question things and we might even we might even question do you even exist or are you even on, the, Can you hear what I, can you, you even hear my prayers? God, I pray that even in those dark moments where we question you, that you would just show yourself to us, God. Show us your, just your love and your compassion. Maybe even your discipline. Father, we, we want to live our lives like Jesus did. We know we're gonna go through difficulties, we know we're gonna, we're gonna suffer, but God, a, a true disciple suffers with hope, knowing that you win, that you have a plan. So we, we, above everything else today, God, we say we trust you, we trust you. Our trust of you is not conditional upon our circumstances. Move in our hearts, Jesus. In your name.